Well, I, I want to start off with a question today. If, have you ever said this to yourself, this question right here? If, if, God, if God would just do something spectacular, I would have more faith. You ever said that to yourself? You know, if God would just do something mighty or big or awesome, you know, it'd be so much harder or so much easier to believe. It'd be so much harder to, to not say no to God or, or I wouldn't have as many doubts if he would just do something spectacular. And, and if God were in front of us, I don't want to speak for God, but I think what God would say is God would say, okay, like, like, like what? Like what? Like what? There it is. Like what? Right? Like what? Like what would you want me to do? How about, how about I created a rock that, that, that existed in stark contrast to all the other rocks? Like let, let's say like I created a rock that could sustain life and, and give you the resources and the tools you need, not just to survive, but, but to have pleasure and, and great experiences. And it just it stood in stark contrast to all the other planets. And it was like I almost even just made my own like little race, you know, that, 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 could, that could grow and learn and take care of themselves. How about, how about that? Would, would that be spectacular enough for you? Or how about a, a 576 megapixel camera? And let's say I didn't just give you one, but I gave you two of them. Do you know what I'm talking about yet? Okay. And, and, and then I connected it to a 3,000 gigahertz computer that had enough memory that you could store memories and pass them on from generation to generation to generation to generation. How about that? Would that be spectacular enough for you? Or, or how about the fact that by the time I finish this sentence, that there will be 50,000 cells in your body that will die and be replaced by 50,000 new cells, and you don't even have to do anything about it. It's effortless. It, it takes no effort at all on your part. How, 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 about, how about that? To which you would probably say this. You would say, no, something truly spectacular. I mean, I'm talking like a miraculous healing. To which, again, God would say, like, well, let's, let's kind of review human history a little bit. I mean, I have given you the tools and the resources to practically become self-healers. I mean, I've given you the tools where you have learned and you have memorized and you have passed on knowledge to where you could practically, you can nearly almost heal any disease that you guys come into contact with. You have so many ways of, of, of beating death and defending yourself. It's amazing. I mean, if we could, you know, time hop and take somebody from 2,000 years ago and bring them into this time period, and if we took them to a hospital, they would probably look at the doctors and think, are you gods? Because they would have never guessed the developments that would have been made, how we are able to, to fight diseases and pandemics today. I mean, is that impressive enough for you? To which we would say, hmm, I guess. 
And here's my question that I have for you today that I, I really want you to wrestle with. And I think that this is a, a question that not many of us ask, but it's such a good question. It, it's this, what, what could God ever do that would overwhelm you? Think about it. What, what, what could God ever do that would overwhelm you to the part that you would be in such awe that it would cause you to worship him? That it would cause you to, to, to fall on your knees? That, that it would cause you to put your faith and your trust in him? Because he's done a lot already, but it doesn't seem to be enough for you. I always think of that uh, scene from The Incredibles, okay? I'm showing my age a little bit, but you, may, you remember when Pixar used to actually make good movies? I watched that new one this weekend. Anyway, I won't go on that tirade, but anyway, remember when Pixar made good movies and Mr. Incredible pulls up and, and the, the neighbor kid is waiting for him and he goes, what are you looking at? And he goes, I don't know, something incredible, I guess, you know? It's just, I feel like we're that kid sometimes. God goes, what do you want? I don't know. Something overwhelming, something like what? But what is enough? What is enough? If you're just joining us, we're in part four or the conclusion of our series called Baggage. And we're talking about when we go through experiences in life that create a personal BCAD, before crisis and after devastation. Something happens in our life and it's traumatic. It creates memories, it changes us, it creates a before crisis, when I used to be happy, when I used to trust, when I used to have a healthy self-esteem, and then after devastation, after this event, something was changed in my life. I was not as trusting, I was not as confident. I, I had things that, I had baggage that I had to deal with, and it feels like it's in my hands, it's something that I'm carrying around. When you go through experiences like that, what do you do? And so that's what we've been talking about, because when we're in that place, we always ask ourselves, where do I go now? What do I do with this? I don't know what's next. And so we talked about the very first week, there was a question that Jesus posed, and it was, do you want to get well? Jesus, when he, he met a paralyzed man, he came to him, and the first thing he asked him was, do you want to get well? And it seems like a dumb question, but honestly, for all of us, that's the first decision we have to make. Do you want to get well? Let's start there. Because you can't get up and move until you make the decision that you do want to get well. And then once you decide you want to get well, then you can put in the work to be able to move on from this event. And then the second thing we talked about, the second part, is forgiveness. Which forgiveness is essentially canceling a debt. Because when somebody hurts us, they take something from us. They owe us something. They owe us an apology, a conversation, an explanation. They owe us time back that they stole from us. And so when we go through that, we have to forgive, which seems like we're letting them off the hook, but really it's not. Really, forgiveness is an empowering thing because it's looking at the person who took something from us and saying, like, look, I'm not going to wait on you before I move on from this. I'm taking my power back, and I'm making the decision to let this go, move on from it. And as a Christian, it's important that we do it because from a Christian perspective and a spiritual perspective, God told us that, look, I will forgive as far as you forgive. And so you would be a hypocrite to not forgive when you've accepted my forgiveness that I've offered you. And then the thing we talked about last week is this eventually leads us to peace. And we said, look, even if you can't have peace in the relationship, you can have peace about the relationship. 
And that, what that looks like is it looks like kindness, showing someone kindness. And kindness, when we show kindness, we become the bigger person. And when we're the bigger person, we make evil feel small. So we talked about what Paul told us to do, to leave room for God's wrath, to put it in God's hands, to let him deal with the consequences of sin. And for us, on our part, to show kindness and to fulfill the greatest command, to love my neighbor as myself. But there's one last thing we need to talk about. And I got this question texted to me a lot of times these last three weeks. And so I did not want to just glance over this or deal with it on an individual basis because I feel like a lot of times this is a question that's in the back of all of our heads. And so this, this is the question. What if my baggage is with God? What, what if there's not a person or a family member or a past boyfriend or past girlfriend? What if my baggage is with God? What, what if... What if I, I grew up hearing that God is love? God is love. And all I need to do is put my faith in him. And if my faith is big enough, God will always bless me. God will always take care of me. And so I did what everybody told me to do. I put my faith in God, and I had a big faith, and I prayed boldly. And I, I was told that if you ask, you shall what? Receive. See, yeah, wow, well, you guys have heard this speech before, right? I was told that if I, if I ask, I shall receive, and that all it requires is faith. And so I, I prayed boldly. I, I prayed in a mighty way, and I believed, and I, I believed that everything happened for a reason, that God was always in control, and then it happened. And then they died, and then I got sick. And then the doctors told me that they didn't have any answers and they didn't know what my body was doing. And then they cheated on me. And then I lost that opportunity. And then I was overwhelmed. And then I went through this traumatic experience. And, and, and I kept asking myself, what in the world is going on? I've been going to church. I've been tithing, I've been praying, I went to the small group or the Sunday school and I listened to the preacher and I had faith and I did the Bible plan and I did the fast and I did A, Y, Z, X, I mean I did it all. And I was always told that God is in control and I was always told that as long as I have faith everything's going to be okay and I was always told if I ask I will receive. But that's not what I got, is it? So here's my question. So so what's wrong with me, and what's wrong with God? You ever been there before? What's wrong with me, and, and, and what's wrong with God? And I get it. I get it. And, and I think that this is leading us into a conversation. After Easter, we're actually going to dive into a whole series about this. There's a new word um, that, that's going around, and it's, it's, I think it's mainly being driven by a little bit of my generation, but mainly the, 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 the 18 to 25 generation, the generation behind me. And, and if there's this word that's coming up, and I'm going to use it for the first time, and I want you to know I'm not an expert on this yet, okay? This is, this is all brand new to me, and I'm learning, and I'm discovering, and I'm asking questions, and I'm diving into this new community, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm exploring and stuff. But the word is this. It, it's faith, faith deconstruction. It's a new thing going on. 
Seeing a lot on TikTok, seeing a lot on social media, faith deconstruction. And what it is, it's the systematic pulling apart of the belief system that you were raised in. So a lot of 18 to 40-year-olds, what they're doing is they grew up in the church. A lot of them that grew up in the church, a lot of them have a past of, of being Christian, and they've become a young adult, or they've gotten to the, their, you know, their 30s, and they've started to ask questions. And a lot of the questions is, why do we do it the way we do it? Why do we believe the way we believe? And they're systematically pulling apart and pulling the strings on their, on their beliefs. And quite honestly, what the church is doing is the church is very resistant to the questions that they have. The church, the capital church, the big church, they're, 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 they don't want to engage in these conversations of why we do the things we do and why we do it that way and why we say it this way and why we believe what we believe. That's just the way it is. <laughs> don't mess with it. I'm going to hurt you. All right? That's what they say. And so it's an interesting thing. And here's, my, here's where I am on this so far, okay? And again, I'm just diving into this, so I'm not at a, I haven't written my, my thesis yet, so don't quote me on this, okay? But here's the thing. My, my first initial reaction is I already went through this. I mean, I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. And let me tell you, the reason our church is a church for people who don't like church is because the meanest people as a PK that I ever saw were the board members and the Sunday school teachers who cursed my dad out in the parking lot. Amen. Okay? So if with my experience, non-Christians were some of the most friendliest, loving people that I knew, and Christians were some of the meanest people and judgmental people that I ever knew. Okay? That's my experience. So I already went through this. I deconstructed my faith before deconstructing faith was cool. All right? <laughs> <laughs> If this team needs a captain, I'm OG, all right? I'm, I'm a candidate. I've already been there, done that, okay? So there's a reason I'm preaching in, in, in Jordans and jeans today, all right? I already went through this thing. But here is the danger in this, and, and this is why I'm not, I'm not fully on board, because there, there is a danger to this new trend. Anytime that you deconstruct something without reconstruction is dangerous, Okay? Because if you deconstruct something and take it all apart, but you don't put it back together the way it was intended to be, then you're left with what? A mess. And that's the problem, is that many of these Christians and young people are deconstructing their faith to the point where at an extreme they become atheist, and at a minimum they leave the church and abandon it. And that's no good. See, I deconstructed my faith, but then I reconstructed it, and now you have Anchored Hope Church, okay? That's why we planted this church 10 years ago. So anytime you deconstruct something, you must reconstruct it. Now, here's why I tell you that, is that when it comes to pain and suffering and where is God in the midst of pain and suffering, there are some beliefs and things we say that we do need to deconstruct, there are old church sayings and old things that we were taught and things that have become cultural norms that we absolutely need to deconstruct. But we need to reconstruct and find out what is the truth. Are you with me? Okay? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at pain and suffering, and we're going to deconstruct some things, and we're going to take some things out of our vocabulary today, and we're going to deconstruct what we believe about God and where God is, but then we're going to reconstruct it, 
and come to a conclusion instead of just making a nasty TikTok pointing our finger at the church and the generation in front of us, okay? That's what we're going to do. So to do this, we're going to actually look at a story where Jesus actually deconstructed the faith of the disciples, but then he reconstructed it. If you look at Jesus' ministry, all throughout Jesus' ministry in the New Testament, these first-hand accounts, we have this history of Jesus for three years basically going north, south, north, south, north, south, north, south, 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 south. Because what he would do is south was Judea, and in Judea was where Jerusalem was, and Jerusalem is where the temple was. So Jesus would come down to Judea, he would go to the temple, he'd tick off everybody, <laughs> he'd tick off the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he would talk about the kingdom of God, and he'd remix everything, and he'd drop the mic, and then they'd want to kill him, so he'd run north, okay? So he'd, he'd retreat, things would calm down, he'd come back, he'd be like, kapam, here, and then he'd run, okay? That's what Jesus did for three and a half years until it finally came time where he's like, okay, y'all can take me now, it's time, all right? So that's what he does. So there was a time where Jesus was traveling north-south where he comes across a blind man. And it's interesting the conversation that he had with his disciples. So this is the story I want to tell you. And John was there. John wrote it down. This is what it says. So as he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're walking, right? They're walking along, and they see this blind man. It's, a lot of commentators say this man was probably about mid-30s or so. He's been blind his entire life. And the disciples ask a theological question. Hey, whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? And there was this thing. When it came to, to suffering and sin, there was this connection, okay? There was this connection. When you saw somebody suffering you assumed that there was sin in their life. Sometimes you assumed it was sin in their life. Sometimes you assumed it was sin in their generation's life. Now, this sounds a lot like, again, a word that we sometimes use today. Do you know what it is? Karma. Good. All right? You know this. You know this word, right? Good things come to who? Good people. And bad things come to who? bad people. This is essentially karma, right? Well, they kind of had a karma theology back then. And look, honestly, you couldn't blame them. If you look at the Old Testament and the way things were, we've talked about this before, everything was very vertical, right? You threw up blessings to God or you were good to God, and what did God do? He threw down blessings to you. The Israelites and their relationship with God was very, very rigid, very based on this. This is why they were given the laws, right? If you stay in line with the law, you throw sacrifices and things up to God, what does God do? God throws good things down to you, okay? If you're bad and if you're naughty, what does God do? do? He, that's what he does, right? That's, what, that's the whole Old Testament. It's very rigid, and we've talked about this. The reason the Old Testament and the laws are so rigid is because it had to be held that way in order to get us to Jesus, okay? God was always trying to get to Jesus. He knew when Jesus would come. He knew what Jesus would do, when it was going to happen. He had to hold these things. We were in a holding pattern. We had to be held in line to get to Jesus, and God was so serious about this plan to get to Jesus in the new covenant that things had to be held in a very, very tight uh, path of travel. So, 
This is what they grew up on. And so there was a lot of superstition. There was a lot of belief that this is what gods did, that gods, that gods were, were good to you when you were good. They were bad to you when they were bad. So that's essentially what they're asking. Who did this? Whose fault is this? Because there has to be a reason. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, neither. Neither. Nobody. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. So, what is Jesus essentially letting us know? He's letting us know a great thing that we can, we can deconstruct and we can reconstruct. And it's this. Bad things happen to good people for no reason. And for somebody, that's exactly what you need to know today. Bad things happen to good people for absolutely no reason. Sometimes, and you know this because you've seen this. Have you ever seen a bad, bad person very blessed? Yeah, of course you have. You have seen some rotten people who do some very bad things, who live a very blessed life. Do you know a good person, a good person who doesn't deserve anything bad to ever happen to them, have bad things happen to them? Yes, absolutely. And look, there is, most definitely, we all know this, there is a causality, right? Do you reap what you sow? Absolutely. But we all know that sometimes you plant a good seed and sometimes bad things still happen. And sometimes you plant a bad seed and somehow, someway, something good will happen too. There's not a direct connection that we could always say good things only happen to good people and bad things only happen to bad people. It's just, it's just not that way. Sometimes bad things happen to good people for absolutely no reason. And what Jesus is telling us is that God has nothing to do with it. There, 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 is no, there, there is no higher power or anything involved. Sometimes it just happens. And for that reason, there are some things that we say to people that are damaging, that are mean, that are unloving, that I want you to just remove them from your vocabulary and not ever say them again. Here, here's one of them. Everything happens for a reason. Stop saying this. Don't say this. Everything happens for a reason. It is the most theologically inaccurate and impractical thing you could ever say. Everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. You can't say that. And when you say this to somebody, what they think is that God is this guy in, in the sky who's playing a really mean game of Monopoly, moving people and making things happen, and, and, and he makes bad things happen in, in order for good things to happen. And I, I don't believe that, do you? If that's true, I certainly don't want to serve that God or worship that God. That is not a God of love. You, you can't say that. You, you can't tell me that, that God has people murdered for a reason, okay? I don't, do, do you, is that what you believe? Or, or, or sexually assaulted? Do you think God has people sexually assaulted for a reason? That God is somehow behind that? Absolutely not, right? Not everything happens for a reason. Sometimes things just happen, and bad things happen to good people all the time for absolutely no reason. But not everything happens for a reason, okay? God didn't bring on COVID-19, okay? God didn't create a pandemic. 
God's not making Russia and Ukraine at war right now. God's not behind any of that. So, so stop with the revelation into the world talk where you think that God is somehow behind all this and is using evil for his good. That is not a good God. Amen? So delete it from your vocabulary and stop saying it to people. Stop telling people that. Another one that is closely connected to this is this. God just needed another angel in heaven. Stop saying this. And this one is really personally attached to me because I was there at the funeral of my uncle when someone from her church came up to my grandmother and was trying to give her comfort as she buried her, her, her 43-year-old son. And she said this to them. God just needed another angel in heaven. I have been at a funeral of an 11-month-old baby where the baby passed days before Christmas. And as the mother and father are grieving with their infant in this tiny, small casket, somebody from their church walked up to them and said, well, let me tell you why this happened. God just needed another angel in heaven. And number one, this is so inaccurate because us and angels aren't even the same being. So you really need to understand that. We are not angels, nor will we ever be angels. Those are two completely different things. We are human beings. There are angels. There's a weird thing in the Bible where they mate, and it makes something weird anyway. We are not the same thing. So stop telling people this, okay? There are, we are not angels, nor will we ever be. That's one thing. But the other thing is, is that do you really think that God, some, for some reason, just needs some extra angels in heaven so he's killing babies and other people? No, absolutely not. That's gross. That's crude. That's disgusting. Why would you ever tell someone that? And I know why you would tell somebody that, because you're trying to comfort somebody. But sometimes the best form of comfort is to just keep your mouth shut. Amen. <laughs> That's the biggest amen I'll get all day, right? It's true, though. It's true. We tell people, well, if it's their time, it's their time. What does that even mean? If it's their time, it's their time? Do you think that God is up in heaven determining people's time? Where is your concept of free will if you believe any of that? Your theologies and your belief systems don't even match up. If free will is a choice, then God is not up in heaven pulling strings, killing people, or deciding pe when people are going to die. That is not the way it works, and it is inaccurate. So stop. Just keep your mouth shut. Because you're being a bad witness to people who have questions in the middle of their grief, and what you're doing is deterring them from following God because you're giving them bad theology. Just delete it from your vocabulary. So, Jesus tells us that. Jesus says, neither. You're totally wrong. This suffering that this man is going through, the reason he's blind... No part of it is God's. No part of it is his sin. No part of it is his father or his mother's sin. Nothing like that. But then he says this. But this happened so that. Now, if you look at the Greek of this and many, many other commentators and people who have studied this and people who are far smarter than me, when, when they look at this, that what they see is this. It almost could be written better in English if it said this. Is if Jesus said, this man is not blind because of anything like this. But this happened. It happened. It happened. And it's here. And bad things happen to good people all the time for no reason. So this happened. 
But now something else can happen. So what he's telling them is like bad things happen all the time to good people. This happened. It's here. So what do we do with it? Which is what you go through. When you go through stuff like this, you're like, okay, this happened. So now what? What do I do now? So now what? And Jesus would say, so now, and then he says this. So now the works of God can be displayed in him. This happened. It's here. It's in our lives. We're going through it. We've been given the diagnosis. It's here. Now what? Well, the world has no answers. The world says, good luck to you. Okay, but God, Jesus, Jesus says, well, now the might of God can be displayed in this man. This is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, not all pain happens on purpose, but all pain can serve a purpose. You with me? Not all pain happens on purpose, but through Jesus, all pain can serve a purpose. Here's the truth, and it's an uncomfortable truth, but it's a truth that you already know because it applies to every single principle in life. Jesus displays his power best on the platform of pain. And isn't this true? Isn't this true that your best self is displayed on the platform of pain? You you, you see somebody who who is a a, a great athlete, right? You look at some of these top athletes. You look at these guys who are jacked. You, You know, you look at guys like Bo Burgess. You know what I mean? You're just like, he's just shredded. You know what I mean? And you're like, how in the world does somebody... Stop laughing. Bo is a fit man. You haven't seen him with his shirt off. I have video of it, though, if you'd like to see it from CrossFit. It's very violent. I can't even put it on the Internet. I get flagged for it every time I do. Anyway, you look at somebody like that. You look at a top-tier athlete, right? You look at, like, some of these people who just, you know, were at the Olympics, and you're like, how in the world? Do you know how they got there? Through pain, through discipline. And there is no discipline that is ever comfortable correct? When you are disciplined, it is very uncomfortable. It is painful. But through pain and discomfort, we become our best selves. That's what training is. It's what lifting is. It's what learning is. It's what happens when you go through education. It's what we go through in relationships. The best, strongest relationships are relationships that have gone through struggles and pain and come out better for it on the other side. And Jesus applies this principle in the same way. Jesus says, you know what? I hate when bad things happen to you. I never meant for it to be this way. And trust me, I'm not in heaven making it happen because there's a lot of things I would have stopped if I could have. But the thing is, is that when you go through this, it's an opportunity. When you go through something painful, it opens up the door for me to do something powerful in your life. It opens you up to be receptive to try new things. There's a point of desperation where you open yourselves up to learning and new things. You, know, you never know that time where you just you come to that point where you're willing to try anything, right? And so you let yourselves open. Jesus says, you know what? I hate it, and it breaks my heart because I love you. But when you go through difficult times, it is the opportunity for me to do powerful things in your life. 
And you know this. You're, you're even attracted to this, and you don't even know it. Because here's the truth. The truth is, is that in incredible pain, God can do incredible things. And incredible things in the midst of pain inspire people. Take any movie you've ever seen. It's written about this, right? There's a point where you learn about a character, and you fall in love with that character. You have sympathy for that character. And then what happens? Conflict. And then what attracts you? What do you cheer on? What do you want to see happen? You want to see that character that you love get through the conflict and come out the other side. This is all that superhero movies are built on, right? It's they, that's why they got me like that, is because you have somebody who you sympathize with that gets beat down, but then they have to overcome. And these are the stories that we cheer. There is literally an emotion, something that was built into us that makes us swell, you know, that makes us go, yes, I want more of that, right? I mean, that's built into us. It was created into us. And the thing is, is that when it comes to God in incredible pain, God can do incredible things. And the thing is, is that when God does incredible things in our life, it inspires people. People go, what is that? Where does that come from? I hope one day if I ever go through that, I can do what you did. Because we all want to be that guy. We always want to be that person. Sometimes we even, we, we, we hope that that happens in our life so we can have a life that's, that's meaningful, Right? So then Jesus continues on, and he says, After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. So he, he's teaching them this theology lesson. He spits on the ground, takes mud, puts it on his eyes. Okay, And then, this is what he says to him. He says, Go. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, I wanted to answer this question because some of you, 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 you texted me about this, right? What if my baggage is with God? And I wanted to get this right. So this week I uh, called my sister. I have a sister who lives in Oklahoma. She's a children's pastor. My sister... Uh, five months ago, went through a miscarriage. So I called my sister, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm talking about this on Sunday. I wanted to get your viewpoint on it, because you, you've, you've gone through something really painful, and I don't, I don't know where you are on this. Um, so I told her what I was preaching on. I told her the story, and she's a pastor. She, she's familiar with this verse and stuff. I said, so what do you think about this? Where are you at? And she said, well, she goes, I, I get what you're saying and that. She said, you know, the thing is, though, about your story is that it still has a happy ending. The guy you're using in your story got healed and got to go home seeing. And when I was in the process of losing my baby, I prayed that God would heal my baby, and he didn't. So what do you say to that? What do you tell the people who don't get the happy ending? 
And so I got off the phone, and I understand that. I feel that. I, I walked away from my sermon for four days. I couldn't work on it. I was, I was to this point, and then I, I had to walk away from it. I didn't even touch it for four days. I was trying to find anything under the sun to keep me busy around here because I just didn't want to work on my sermon. And, uh, and I thought about it really hard. And then I saw something for the first time that I had never seen before because I've preached on this verse before, and I know this story really well. But I saw something for the first time that I never saw before. Is this. Is that, you know, if you think about the perspective of the blind man, you, you, put your, you put yourself in his shoes, okay? Here's a man who is blind for, let's say, 30 years, okay? He's blind. He's been blind his whole life. He's been left alone, and he's sitting in public, and he keeps hearing the stories. He can't see, and he just hears stories. There's this guy running around town named Jesus who's healing people, and he's helping people, and he's, he's paralyzed people are walking, blind people are seeing, people are, are coming back to life, all this stuff. Just stories and rumors, though, right? Just rumors. He didn't know anybody that it's happened to. He can't see it, right? So it's just rumors to him. And then here comes this guy, and he's you know, using you as this illustration <laughs> point. You, know, you can hear these guys all talking about you, and then he comes up to you, and he spits in your eye, <laughs> you know? You hear, you hear the spit sound, you hear the mud making, and then he just smacks you in the eye. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? He didn't really even say anything to him. And then the guy tells you, okay, now go walk to a pool and you'll be healed. I mean, seriously, let's think practically for a minute. What would you do in that situation, <laughs> Right? Some guy who you've never met before, doesn't even introduce himself, spits in your eye, slaps you, rubs mud. We don't even know if he pointed him in the right direction and says, walk to a pool and trust me, it'll work out for you. <laughs> what would you have done? Would you have done it? Most of you would say, this guy is, Scott. you know what I mean? What would you have done? I mean, it's all... It's all, it's, all, it's all, you know, it's just made up. It's rumors. You have no idea. You, don't, you have no proof that this is going to work out. But what does the man do? He gets up. He walks to the pool. And, and let's, not, let's not, you know, don't connect the dots too quick. This guy had to walk to a pool, okay? And he's blind. You ever been blind? Okay? You don't just walk boldly. You are like this, right? I mean, you're walking like this. And this is in a public place. So this man stumbles his way. He probably tripped. He probably fell. Jesus could have took him by the hand. You know what I mean? Jesus could have been like, come here. Let me show you where this is. You know what I mean? Jesus could have just flicked him in the head and it would have worked. I mean, Jesus could have done a lot of stuff that would have been way nicer. But instead, he just goes, find the pool. It'll be all right. And Jesus leaves him. And this guy stumbles his way to the pool. He's got mud and spit in his eyes. I guarantee you, the man's walking in public. You don't think that one person stopped and laughed at him? You don't think one guy was going, oh my goodness, look at this guy. Who, who, what is he doing? Is that spitting mud in his eyes? Oh my gosh, what a loser. What a weirdo. Did he, was that guy Jesus around here again? That guy is a prankster. I tell you what, right? People made fun of him. People laughed at him. But what did he do? He went all the way. He walked to the pool. 
And man, that must have felt like a journey. He didn't touch the mud. He didn't wipe it off. He went through ridicule. He went through people who mocked his faith. But he literally walked by faith. He got to the pool. And it wasn't until he got to the pool that he could see, right? Put it this way. While he was blind, he had to decide to trust in him based on stories told about him. And here's the thing. Many of you who are going through pain, you're saying to yourself, I would have faith if God would heal me. I don't know why God healed people back then and why he is not healing today. And you could go all kinds of different ways with that because God is healing people today in spectacular ways. He's doing spectacular things that thousands of years ago nobody ever would have expected. But here's the good news. God has made a way for every single person to be healed. Every single person who is going through something, who needs healing, will get healing. And the way that looks is that God sent his son to die for your sins. And when God sent his son to die for your sins, and when three days later he was resurrected, God made a way for you to spend eternity in heaven with him. And that made a way for you one day, you will one day be healed. And when you are healed in eternity, you are healed for good. The thing is, though, is that that is what Jesus has told us. So now we're like the blind man. We've never seen Jesus. We've never walked with God. We are purely going off of rumors that are told to us through a document that has been around for thousands of years that, were, that was written by men who were there. It's purely speculation. It's purely rumors written in a book and on your Bible app. And it has told us that one day you will be healed. One day, Maybe not on this earth, but one day when you meet God, if you put your faith and your trust in him, you will be healed. So now you are in the same boat as that blind man. Jesus has taken his spit and mud and he has put it on your eyes and he has told you, if you go and you walk by faith and you follow me, you will be healed one day. And on your journey... People will doubt, people will ridicule you, people will mock you. But as long as you have faith, when you get there, you will be healed. Question is, is will you believe? Will you decide to trust in him based purely off of stories about him? I was talking to my sister again. And my sister's gone to counseling and talked to people. And she said, you know, I truly believe that this is not how this story will end. I believe that when I get to heaven, my little girl or my little boy will be waiting for me. And I will get eternity with my child that I just haven't met yet. I believe that. I have faith in that. I hold on to that. 
Well, what tells you that that's going to happen? Rumors, gossip, stories written in this ancient book, written by men. But I believe it. And the thing is, is that when you do that, the incredible thing is, the incredible thing is your incredible faith might be inspires with someone to believe that the rumors are true. So what if my baggage is with God? The answer is this. God is not a baggage giver. God is a baggage taker. God did not give you the baggage that you're dealing with. Who did? No one. There's no reason. There's no rhyme. You did nothing wrong sometimes. There's no causality. There is no karma. Things don't happen for a reason. It just is what it is. You don't need to forgive God. You can be mad at God. That's okay. But God didn't give you this baggage. God is not a baggage giver. God is a baggage taker. And the question for you is, what else does God have to do to earn your trust? What does God have to do that will overwhelm you enough for you to put your faith in Him? Can you walk blind through this life not knowing for sure? Can he give you any more proof? Probably not. There's probably nothing else he could do that would probably overwhelm you enough if he hasn't done it at this point. So can you walk by faith? And again, my deconstructors, my fellow millennials, the people who have left the church, they would say, yeah, but this and that and that and blah, blah, blah. And I would say to them, I would say to anybody who's chosen to be an atheist or who has deconstructed their faith where they've walked away from their faith, I would say this. I would say, well, what do you got? Because they would say, they would say to me, yeah, but what if you're wrong? All the stuff that you teach and all the stuff that you talk about and all the stuff that you believe and all the stuff that you've put blind faith in, what if you're wrong? And I would say to them, if not him, then who? If not him, then who? Because I watch my generation deconstruct their, faith, deconstruct their faith to the point where they have absolutely nothing. And what you're left with when you deconstruct your faith to nothing is nothing. And if you have nothing, then where do you put your hope? What is the purpose of anything? Where is hope? Where, where is faith? What, what do you put your faith in? Mankind? Where do you put your hope in? There, one of my top five pieces of scripture ever. One of them's tattooed on my arm. This one, I don't know. Maybe I'll do my lower back next. I have no idea, all right? <laughs> There's a great stamp on my back. What is that verse? Well, let me show you, folks. Um, one of my top five verses. There, there's a point where Jesus deconstructs his disciples' faith. He, again, deconstructs their faith, and they don't like the answer. Because it's, it's an answer with no guarantees, and it's got discomfort attached to it. And so Jesus actually loses a ton of followers. He loses a ton of followers, and a ton of people quit being his disciples, and they go home. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Are you going to go too? Are you going to leave me as well? And do you know what Peter's answer is? I love this verse. Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall I go? Lord, 
If not you, then who? Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And nobody else has that. If not you, then this life is pointless. And when it ends, it ends. And there is no hope in humanity. There is no reason even trying. The concept of love and trust and hope is baloney. And there's no sense of even trying. I might as well just give in to my urges and do whatever I want and live a selfish life and run through people because when it's over, it's over and there's no point. It is either that or it is this. Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I'm okay if we deconstruct some things and we look at the word and we study scripture, not because it's the Bible, but because it's attached to Jesus. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. The church is falling apart. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord. Lightning's coming next. But because when we walk with Jesus in faith, I believe that what he promised us is true. But if I don't believe that, then what do I really have left? I believe God is a good God, and I believe that what he says is true. I'm going to call an audible this morning. We were going to end with a song, but I don't want to end with a song this morning. I've gone for way too long, and I've talked for way too long. I just want to pray for you and let you go, because I know there are people in the room struggling with this. You don't feel like worshiping right now. You don't feel like singing another song or anything like that. And I'm with you. I've been there. I know it. I'm wa- again, I'm walking through this with my family right now. I get it. I know. It's painful. It hurts. But you've got to understand that as uncomfortable as it is and as uncertain as things are, on the platform of pain, Jesus does his very best work. And all we have are rumors of promises. But if you don't put your faith in those, if you don't believe those are true, the alternative is so much more depressing to me. So what do you want to do? If not him, then who? So this morning, I want to pray with you that, that maybe you don't have all the answers today. Maybe you're not fully at peace about it. And that's okay. And for some of you, look, you need to hear this not because you're going through it right now, but you will. You will. All of us will. All of us will get that bad news. All of us will go through that trauma. All of us will see something happen in our lives that will leave us doubting. And we need this now, and we need to store it in here and in here for when we need to pull it out. And for some of us, we need to hear this and know this because we're going to have somebody close to us go through it. And we have to offer up more than everything happens for a reason. We have to offer up more than bad theology that we don't even really believe and Scripture doesn't ever point to. My hope for you is that this would just be another step in your faith journey. But you're a blind man walking the streets. So you got to keep walking. 
And you got to keep moving forward. And you got to get to the pool. But when you get to the pool, you got to believe that you're going to go home being able to see. Put your faith in that or put your faith in nothing. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we come to you today. I know that this is a hard subject. I've thought about it this week. I've prayed about it this week. I've fasted over it this week. Man, it's heavy. It's hard. It's tough. It hits so close to home for some of us. Father God, would you today speak to our hearts? Touch us where we are. Would you give us peace? Would you give us wisdom? Would you allow us to keep going? As we've deconstructed some things, would you help us to reconstruct? Would you help us to relearn? Some of these things, we don't even know where they came from. Somebody just told them, told them to us one day and they stuck. They became a saying. We hear it all over the place. And would you help us to unstick that from our mind? Would you help us to go to your word? Would you help us to go in prayer? Would you help us to get together with other people and have conversations about these difficult, difficult topics? And would we discover who it is you really are and what you want for us, Lord? Would we try to somehow wrap our mind around walking blind with faith? God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, I am so glad that you're here today. And if you are new, again, I, I would hope that you'd stop by our Welcome Center and meet our awesome Welcome Team. They'd love to meet you. Um, would you guys stand this morning? Tell somebody this morning you're so glad to see them. And I hope you are with us next week, same time, same place. Tiptoeing under sea, lost and found.